We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Incumbent Cook County State's Attorney Kimberly Fox is running hard to keep her job. She made many of the reforms she said she would. She's trying to keep low-level suspects from being jailed. She has the backing of her former boss, Tony Preckwinkle, who also leads the county Democrats. But Fox got tangled up in the Jussie Smollett faked hate crime case, a case now being investigated by a special prosecutor. So now some political observers feel the Democratic incumbent is vulnerable. Which brings us to my guest this weekend, who believes she can take on and beat Kim Fox. It's a conversation with former prosecutor Donna Moore. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Donna Moore has run for state's attorney before. In fact, she was one of those trying to unseat then-incumbent Democrat Anita Alvarez four years ago. She finished behind Alvarez and the eventual winner, Kim Fox, in the Democratic primary. But as we've said, things are different now. And Donna Moore, along with other politicians, have probably learned some lessons from 2016. Ms. Moore is a former Cook County assistant state's attorney who's also been a federal prosecutor and a general counsel for the Illinois Gaming Board. She's in private practice now. Now a partner with Fox Rothschilds LLP. Donna Moore, welcome back. Thank you so much, Craig. Um, well, you're trying to unseat an incumbent who got into office behind all the turmoil over the Laquan McDonald police killing. Uh, voters seemingly lost faith in Anita Alvarez uh, after the release of that videotape of the incident, punctuated by the 16 shots uh, being fired. But are problems with what Kim Fox now calls a uh, low-rate misdemeanor false report case, the one involving Jussie Smollett, enough to uh, send her packing? Look, I think that your big cases, you blow a big case, the public loses confidence in you in every case. Um, that is not the only issue, in my opinion, that Kim Fox has. Kim Fox has issues with how we charge cases, how we advocate for pretrial detention of violent offenders. And I think communities feel less safe. People feel less safe today. And I don't believe that the people of Cook County have a lawyer anymore. And that's why I'm running for this job. This is not a political job, Craig. Um, I am not a politician. I am an experienced practicing lawyer running for a legal job. But is this about... When you say people don't feel safe, is this about being tougher on people accused of crimes? Uh, what what is the what's the overarching issue that you think uh, makes her less qualified for the job? As state's attorney, I will be an aggressive prosecutor, but combine that with compassionate justice. But I don't think catch and release constitutes restorative justice. I don't think many in our community believe that. And so, yes, I think that the Fox administration has not adequately charged cases where they need to be charged. I don't think the Fox administration has prevented violent offenders from being back out on the streets. We have armed carjackers are back out in six hours. 
this past summer, six in 10 gun offenders back out on the street. Domestic violence abusers are back out to re-abuse their victims. And that's why I'm running for state's attorney. Is that function of the state's attorney, uh, is that the function that causes these people to be back out on the streets or is it uh, an issue more for the judges? Prosecutors are standing mute at bond hearings. So while the judge ultimately decides the bond, it is the prosecutors who have to advocate for it. And that's not happening. It's not happening in the courtrooms. Anecdotally, you can talk to police officers, you can talk to state's attorneys uh, who are willing to talk, and they will tell you they remain mute at bond hearings and therefore the judge has nothing to go on. So I know people like to blame law enforcement, people like to blame judges. They seem to forget about the state's attorney's office. That is the advocate for the people and for the victims. And it's woefully, woefully missing. And it, this has been a debate, actually, for, for years uh, in the, in the uh, criminal justice community about trying to strike a balance, keeping dangerous people behind bars, uh, but also not putting so many people behind bars simply because they couldn't afford to pay bond. Uh, how do you mark that balance? I think... You know, having run in the last election and I'm running again, I think under Alvarez, there was no balance. It was all one-sided. I think under Fox, we've gone to the other end of the spectrum. You have to strike a middle balance. And the justice system is all about each individual case. And we all like to say, oh, we don't want anybody in county jail, which remember, county jail is for pretrial detention of the of the guy who stole the candy bar because they were hungry. But what happens is, is what do you do with the fellow who comes into your courtroom, who has an armed robbery conviction, two residential burglary convictions, uh, a couple of uh, retail theft, and then has a conviction or is charged with a drug crime or a low level misdemeanor retail theft. What do you do with that person with that criminal history? And that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you have the tough decisions to be made. And what's happening, according to Tom Dart, who was on your show not too long ago, is right now we have 50 plus murder defendants out on electronic monitoring. And he doesn't know where half of those people are. To me, the violent crime of a murder would mean pretrial incarceration because what happens is the community is afraid. They know that the defendant is going to be back out on the street. We can't get witnesses to testify because they're afraid that they're that the the guy who they're going to testify against is back out on the street. And those cases, those are the kinds of cases where we need pretrial incarceration and and the state's attorney isn't advocating for that. Um, let me play the uh, the, uh, the the role of uh, public defender uh, in this in a case like this because what we are talking about are people accused of crimes. Correct. And is there some way of protecting the public without already punishing someone for a crime that they haven't been proven to have committed? They they are accused, but. 
at the charging level, you need probable probable char, probable cause to charge. If you have probable cause to charge, I believe you have a violent offender that that is um, worthy of incarceration. You know, the mayor uh, a few weeks back was talking about bond reform, and she said something about, you know, maybe what we do is get rid of cash bond altogether. If you have a nonviolent offender, you're not afraid they're going to flee. Maybe they're out on electronic monitoring. But violent offenders, violent offenders, gun gun toters, you know, charged armed robbers, murderers, rapists, those individuals need pretrial incarceration, in my opinion. I mean, you know, you have... You have a rapist who gets out on bond, goes into Streeterville, commits two more rapes. Those communities, those individuals, those victims would be crying out for pretrial incarceration. Um, But again, if it's somebody who hasn't already been convicted of a crime before, uh, how do you justify keeping that person behind bars unless there is some kind of outstanding evidence that says this is, in fact, the person who committed this crime. The person may say, no, I didn't. Well, but that's the evidence that you need to have probable charge, probable cause to charge. I mean, because under under that theory, Craig, nobody would be incarcerated <laughs> pretrial. So you have probable cause. You have your evidence. You know, when you at the at the time of arrest and the time of charging, you have your evidence. Um, that doesn't mean that that's the only evidence you have when you go to trial. You still continue to work up your cases. You interview witnesses. You get forensic evidence. But if you have probable cause to charge and the charge is violent, a murder, a rape, those individuals need pre-trial, pre-trial incarceration. Um, I also want to ask, as you, you, you mentioned, the, the idea of no cash bond, mm-hmm. and it's been gaining uh, a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that? Would you, would you support a proposal for no cash bond that either we're holding you or we're not? You know, it is, it is something that I think is an interesting proposal. I think um, we need to look at it because sometimes ideas have unintended consequences, and you want to make sure that um, there aren't unintended consequences of either you're held or you're not held. But I do think that I agree on low level. You know, that's what electronic monitoring was originally for. Low level, nonviolent, mainly drug crimes. Um, so we didn't um, hold those offenders so they could maintain a job if if that was uh, if they had a job. Um, But part of what we have to do with the criminal justice system and whether you detain or don't detain is you really have to start to link it up with the mental health system because that is a big part of the problem. It's a part of the problem that a lot of people don't like to talk about. You know, Tom Dart said Cook County is the largest mental health institution in the country. But part of do you incarcerate is also, is there a way to get folks, especially low-level nonviolent offenders, the mental health treatment they need and not incarcerate in Cook County Jail? And that's the challenge, and that's a challenge that I think uh, is very near and dear to my heart. 
I've been working on policies relating to that because that's a huge part of the system, Craig. Um, I don't want to, uh, even though some would want us to cut short uh, any talk about the Smollett case, but I do want to ask you, how should, either should have this case been resolved or should it be resolved from this point on? Because, I mean, there's still obviously investigations and some parts of it are still in the courts, whether it's civil or criminal. The case is being, as you alluded to, the case is being investigated by a special prosecutor. Um, I will let the special prosecutor do his job. I hope that he issues a report before March 17th because I believe that the voters have a right to know this information prior to voting on who their next state's attorney is in the primary. But how do you handle cases in general? You know, Kim Fox has said, we have a lot of cases that we do in a particular way. And her office said, no, we really don't have any cases that we can find that support our position on that. We haven't handled any cases in a similar way. But to me, whether it's a low-level offender, no matter what the offense is, people have to admit that they did something wrong. Because you can't move on from that. You don't get restorative justice if nobody thinks they ever did anything wrong. They just, if I got away with this, I didn't have to admit I did something wrong, I'll, I'll try to get away with something else. So it's a conversation with your, you know, the prosecutor is in charge, in essence, of the whole courtroom, very similar to a judge. You need to make sure as a prosecutor that not only your victim, but your defendant, um, that the cases are handled appropriately. You need to talk to your complaining witnesses and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing in this case. Give me your opinion about it. So there is a way to achieve, uh, whether it's that case or any other case, there's a way to say somebody's going to admit guilt. We're not going to do it quickly behind closed doors when nobody's looking, speed up the case state or whatever. I'm going to talk to defense counsel. I'm going to talk to my complaining witness. You know, I'm somebody's going to admit guilt. They may get supervision and community service, which then, as you know, is not a conviction on your record. But there are ways to handle cases within the scheme of the system that makes sense and you're abiding by the law. What did uh, Kim Fox do wrong in this case? Well, I, I'm going to leave that for Dan Webb to tell us. Um, he has grand jury, grand jury authority. You know, we've heard snippets from the media. We've seen texts. We've seen emails. Um, you know, I, uh, I think we all have a lot of questions about how the case was handled. I think we have questions about whether Kim Fox is uh, performing her job without favor. Um, and we need an independent prosecutor and that's why I'm running for office. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and my guest is former prosecutor Donna Moore. She's a Democratic candidate for Cook County State's Attorney. Um, I do want to start to talk a little bit about the, the various uh, issues that will and, uh, and have affected that office. Um, for example, um, one of the other issues that is keeps coming up is retail theft. There's been a lot of dispute between the current state's attorney and for example, police chiefs in some suburbs and retailers 
who say that the city, excuse me, the county uh, basically raised the threshold on what constitutes felony theft. And those cases now are either going to be handled at the local level by uh, like fines and, and tickets, but they're not going to be prosecuted. What's your feeling about that direction that the uh, office has taken? A felony theft in Illinois is uh, taking merchandise over $300. Early on, I think within the first month or two, when Fox became state's attorney, she announced a policy, not a law, but a policy where she wasn't going to prosecute felony retail theft unless it was $1,000 or over and the person had 10 convictions. Um, What has happened is that whether it's Michigan Avenue, State Street, your local drugstore in your neighborhood, is gangs. Uh, This isn't a one-off. Gangs, organized gangs are walking in. They're taking $995 worth of merchandise. They're waving to the security camera, and they're walking out. And what's happened is our law enforcement early on would bring cases and time and time again, the cases wouldn't get charged. They wouldn't get charged, whether it be felony or misdemeanor. And now law enforcement has kind of thrown up their arms and given up the retailers. You know, you can go into a drugstore for a thousand dollars. You can take, you can empty their shelves. Um, And so, you know, Kim calls that prosecutorial discretion. One, go to Springfield change the law if that's what you believe should happen. Um, But the other thing is, is it's how you use prosecutorial discretion. Again, you have a case, somebody steals $650. You have two, you, you potentially have two very different folks who did that. You can have one with maybe not so much criminal history, uh, maybe no convictions, maybe some supervisions, maybe some mental health issues. Uh, but they're in school or they have family members that have rallied around, you may take that $600 theft as a prosecutor in your courtroom and say, I'm going to reduce the charges. Let's give this guy a second chance. That's restorative justice. But you may have a guy, again, in your courtroom who's charged $600, who has a 10-page rap sheet, including violent felonies, uh, gun offenses, And you may say, as a prosecutor, I'm going to keep this one a felony. But you can't have a blanket policy because the criminal justice system is about individual cases and individual victims and defendants. Um, When she was on this program uh, about a month or so ago, uh, we asked Kim Fox about this, this issue. And she said, you know what? When I got to the office... The largest number of cases by far were retail theft that the office handled. But we have people dying every day. And our biggest type of case should not be retail theft. Um, is, is that a problem if when you have a lower threshold that there are just so many of those cases that that's all you do? Look, you have a lot of cases moving through a felony trial courtroom. I was in a felony trial courtroom, unlike my opponent. Um, you know, there there is, of course, a time constraint on all our prosecutors. Retail theft cases don't take a lot of time. 
in terms of the investigation of them and the prosecution of them. But you can't have a blanket policy of not prosecuting. You can't have a blanket policy because what happens, Craig, is it's open season. And it's not, it's not, you know, you have to remember what retail theft is the vehicle for. It's the vehicle for gangs to get money to sell the merchandise and get money for drugs and guns. So it's it seems like, oh, it's a toss away, but it's not a toss away. And again, you want to exercise discretion, whether it's in felony review, which again, my opponent was never in. You want to exercise discretion in felony review about charging. That's fine. You want to exercise it in your courtroom. But you can't just have a blanket policy where you're not going to charge and prosecute. That's that's your job. Yeah. Talk to me about what your priorities would be. What are the where would you want to see the office doing the most work? Well, you look, you you always want the office to address the violent crime that we have going on in our city and in our county. That's not to ignore the nonviolent crime, as I just said. You have to do everything as a prosecutor. But I think one of the most important things we need to do is we need to reestablish trust because we have a, a low clearance on murder rates, in part because everybody's afraid to testify. You know, everybody's afraid to come forward with information. I heard Andrew Holmes speaking um, just last night, actually. People know who are committing the murders. They're just not talking about it. So the state's attorney's office has to reestablish trust in the communities with victims, with witnesses, with law enforcement. Kim Fox has, has, has drawn a wedge between law enforcement and the state's attorney's office, the two most vital parts of the criminal justice system, and they're not working together. But is this, what is the solution to that, though? Because let's face it, at least the leadership of the Fraternal Order of Police um, takes a pretty hard line on, on you know, letting the police be police and do whatever they, they need to do versus people saying sometimes the police do things that they shouldn't be doing in the community. How do you, how do you bring those two sides together when they're at odds over some very basic things? Listen, as a prosecutor, you have to prosecute crime no matter who commits it. White, black, men and women in blue. And I think everybody needs to know that that's what you stand for, that you're an independent prosecutor who will do your job without fear and without favor. But our men and women in blue who are out there every day on the front lines, first responders, I met a lot of their families last night, they also need to know that you support them, that you will help them. You know, we need to do joint training. When I was in the office, we worked so much with our law enforcement partners to say, here's what we need in cases. Here's what we need for a search warrant. Here's what we, after we charge a case, what can and can't be done. What do you need? Law enforcement, tell us. There's no coordination amongst all the law enforcement agencies in our county. We have over 100. We need a leader. And to me, that leader is the state's attorney. And it's, it's not an easy job, but you have to start because we don't have the option of saying it's a problem that can't be solved. 
You have to roll up your sleeves. You have to understand where what the concerns are from law enforcement. Not all of them you're going to agree with. They're not going to agree with me all the time. But you have to sit at the table and talk. And you have to figure out the solutions. Does that conversation need to be, or does some conversations need to be even wider? Um, you know, we've been talking about the the differences with the courts and the state's attorney's office, the sheriff's, the jail. Does there need to be some kind of meeting of the minds, or I, I won't say a conference, among all of those parties to work out the kinks in this justice system? Every, all the people in the offices you just mentioned are players in the criminal justice system. And people aren't electing me to go have coffee with someone. They don't care how well you like someone or you don't like someone. They're electing me to do a job. And that job is to have every one of those constituents around the table and to work with them and, and them to work with me. And Again, we're not always going to agree on everything. We all come at it from our different perspective of what our office is and what our job is. But we need to work together because right now we have nobody working together. And in the media reports, you know, some of the political and personal battles that are going on, you know, that's great for selling a newspaper. Um, not so good for the state of our criminal justice system. And I think that... You know, look, I sit around a table. I sit around a partner's table. I don't always agree with my partners, but I listen to the ideas because sometimes even people that you think you disagree with 90% of the time, you agree with 10% of the time. And I think that that's, you know, we can't solve a problem if we're not willing to talk about it. Um, let me ask a couple of pure political questions. <laughs> uh, uh, this is a three-way race. You've been mm -hmm. in one of those before. Yes, I have. Um, and how how much of it you, you're, you, again, you've got a candidate who is in the incumbent, well-funded. Uh, isn't this setting up of an, another uh, clearer path for her in a political sense? In a political sense. Um, I think that the voters of Cook County uh, are tired of the same old, same old. A lot has changed in three years. Uh, we've had a mayor's race in Chicago that changed the political dynamics of the city. Uh, we had a reformer come in um, who is a political independent. We've had, um, for better or worse, indictments of many public officials. And I think that the voters are tired of same old, same old. This is a race where my two opponents have no real judgment or experience when it comes to the criminal justice system. Between the two of them, I think they've tried one or two felony juries. Neither was in felony review or the felony trial courts. Neither was a federal prosecutor. The point is, is neither did civil work. Don't forget there's a part of the office that does civil work. This is a legal job. It's not a political job. I'm not using it as a stepping stone to anybody, to any other job. I think both of my opponents are. And I hope that when the voters look at who they want to do this job, and this is a critical, critical part of the justice system and the violence that we have going on in terms of solving the problem, I think that the voters are going to say, let's, let's 
Get a change. It's I hate to say it, but you know I have a good name. It's time for more. <laughs> you can't can't let that go to waste. Uh, very quick answer here. Um, how how well are you going to be able to raise the amount of money you need to to compete here? I will have the money that I need to compete. Um, I again much different than three years ago in terms of what the public and what the voters want, and they're willing to support and get behind me. Thank you very much. That is Donna Moore. She is Dem a Democratic candidate for state's attorney. Thanks for spending the half hour with us, and thanks for coming back. Thanks so much. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.